Again, I want to briefly mention as we begin this series that this was originally given by Andy Stanley back in 2008 or 9 at uh, North Point Church, and that we're adapting the messages and uh, we're using their materials for the small groups and that sort of thing. And again, if you're a small group leader um, and you haven't grabbed your DVD and your, your small group leader's guide yet, make sure you grab Tyre myself and we'll get you a copy of that um, at the end of the service. Now, at his request each morning, three-year-old Ray had his mother um, pin a bath towel to the back of his size 2T shoulders that he had. And uh, when she did that, immediately in his young imagination, uh, the towel became a brilliant magic blue and red cape, and he became Superman. Um, outfitted each day in his cape, Ray's days were packed with adventure and daring escapades. He was Superman. In, in fact, this fact was clearly pointed out last fall when his mother enrolled him into kindergarten. During the course of the interview, the teacher asked Ray his name, to which he responded, Superman. The teacher smiled, cast an appreciative glance at his mother, and asked again, Your real name, please. Again, Ray answered, Superman. Realizing the situation demanded a little more authority or maybe to hide amusement, the teacher closed her eyes for a moment, then in a voice quite stern said, I will have to have your real name for the records. Sensing he'd have to play straight with the teacher, Ray slid his eyes around the room, hunched close to her, and patting a corner of frayed towel at his shoulder, answered in a voice hushed with conspiracy, Clark Kent. What an imagination. You know, kids have imaginations and we have imaginations. And what I want you to do today is to imagine with me. Uh, I want you to use your imaginations, and it doesn't matter where you are or where you stand with God or Jesus, whether you believe in Him or you don't, I want you to imagine what your life would be like if you had absolute and perfect confidence in these three things. Here they are. Number one, that there really is a God. Absolute belief and confidence in these things. Number two, he's a personal God who knows your name. And number three, he's a God who will walk with you every day and has promised to never leave you nor forsake you and to see you through, over, and around everything that you could ever face in your life. I want you to imagine if you have that kind of faith, that no matter what happens in life, good or bad, that you know God is real that He loves you and knows you and that He will guide you and will see you through everything. Imagine if you have the kind of faith that when faced with a huge temptation, your automatic response was, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to say no to this temptation, but I know that I can absolutely 100% perfectly trust You to give me the strength through You to overcome this temptation that I have. 
And I want you to imagine if you have the kind of faith that when something really, really great happens, you know, something amazing that just kind of, kind of blows your life apart. I mean, something good. Like maybe a, a financial windfall that you weren't expecting and, and you find out that you had a long-lost relative who recently passed away and, and they, le- they had a will and they left you in the will and they left you with $4 million. Now, something like that can, can change a person. But imagine that you have the faith to where you could say to, the, to God, God, I, I know that I can trust you in the midst of this and I know that I, that, that I can trust you to help me to not be a different person on the other side of this. That it won't change me in a negative way or a way that I wouldn't want it to. Have you ever, have you ever really thought about that? My, my wife and I actually think about that, not real often, but once in a while when the lottery gets really big, you know, like $500 million, we just kind of like to visit about what would that do to our lives if we were given that much money. And, and I'm just like, I wouldn't want that much. She would really like to give it a shot, you know. I'm like, I don't think I would even want that because I'm afraid of what that would do in my life. And, uh, but we could imagine the kind of faith that you could trust God with even that. Uh, imagine if you had absolute and perfect faith that when life gets worse and worse and worse, that you can still have no fear, that you can still trust in Him, that you can still not be anxious even in the midst of that. No anxiety, no worry. I'm just going to keep trusting Him. I can't control it anyway, so I'm just not going to fear this. Kids, marriage, job, finances, relationships, weaknesses, not everything is going your way. But you just have this unbelievable assurance and faith that everything's going to be okay. Imagine that. Just imagine having that kind of faith. Imagine the kind of faith where people around you think you've lost your sense of reality. You know, everyone else is worried and anxious and they look at you and they go, hey, what's the deal? Why aren't you worried about this? And you're like, you know what? I'm just trusting the Lord for this. He's got it. He can handle it. Um, I'm just waiting to see what he's going to do. Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, Have you ever met someone like that? Maybe it was your mom or your dad or a grandparent. Maybe it was your mom, for instance, and, and something really terrible happened or something bad and, and, and your mom said, we're just going to trust God. But you were smarter, you know, you were smarter and you had a more realistic look on life and, and maybe you tried to talk your mom out of her faith. You said, but mom, wait a minute. Look at all of these circumstances. Look at this and look at this and look at the truth that happened here and look at what this person said and look at this. And you try to actually um, shake up your mom's faith. Or maybe you are a person of faith like that. Maybe you have that kind of faith. Have you ever had anybody around you try to rattle your faith? And then you reply, well, we'll just have to pray about that and trust the Lord. We'll see. We'll see what He'll do. Maybe it's some other Christian that you know that has an absolute wonderful faith like we're talking about and we're imagining here this morning. They went through or are in the middle of some horrible time in their life and and you're doubting God on their behalf. You're like, I can't believe God would do that to them. I can't believe God would allow that to happen in their life. It's just horrible, but they seem to be fine. I mean, they seem to be handling it with amazing faith. Big, out-of-the-box faith. I mean, it's attractive to us, isn't it? When we, someone, when we see someone who has faith like that, it, it, it draws us to them. It, it seems so unreal. 
But when we do see it, it draws, we're drawn into it. That's, that's where God wants to take all of us. God wants us all to have confidence in Him, to trust Him. And we see, we see throughout the Bible God's ability and, and His power so that we can trust Him. He, he wants us to trust Him and to trust His movement and His work in our lives. He's certainly able. He, he's constantly, we, we've seen over the, the last few months, we, He puts people in impossible situations so that they can recognize that He is the God of the impossible. So when you and I are in impossible situations, we need to trust Him. Because in some ways, that's exactly where He wants us, in an impossible situation. So we have to look to Him. So we have to rely on Him. So we trust Him. We saw in the last five weeks, at the very beginning of the, the church, when it first began in the book of Acts, the, the way those disciples and those apostles acted was amazing. I mean, they were so bold and, and they were so, um, so courageous in the face of, of imminent death, really, in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ on a regular basis in their homes and publicly, even when they're thrown in jail and flogged and, and told to stop it. They continued doing that. They trusted that God was powerful and that He was doing what He wanted to do. Have you ever heard someone, or have you ever said this yourself? You've, you've gone through a situation, and you've prayed through it, and you had fear, and you worried, and you were anxious, and you got out the other side, and you look back on it, and you think, wow, look what God did. Why was I so worried about it? Have you ever said that to yourself? I know I have. Now, there's this, there's this level of mistrust that's between mankind and God, and it began back in the Garden of Eden. In fact, the break occurred in the very beginning when man really, in a sense, stopped trusting God. Man decided that God was holding something back. When, when, when Satan was tempting Adam and Eve, he said, well, you know, the only reason that God doesn't want you to eat from this tree is because you will, you will be like God. You know, he's holding back on you. He, he's really got ulterior motives when it comes to not allowing you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so this, this sense of distrust began to sprout and Adam and Eve acted on that. And there's been separation in our relationship with God ever since. Now God's will for your life and for mine, no matter who you are, whether you're religious or non-religious, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're still checking out Jesus and wonder if He is who He said He is and if He's really done what He said He would do, God's will is to draw you into relationship with Him. God's will is to draw you into relationship with, you, with Him. A, a relationship that is built around absolute confidence and trust. Now, everything in our lives would be different, wouldn't it? If we really had perfect, unbelievable, absolute confidence in God. I, I, I totally believe that when you pick up your first cup of coffee in, in the morning, if you had complete trust in God, it would taste different. You would think about it differently. Um, our relationships would be different. Um, the reasons that we have, uh, the reason that our purpose in life would be different. The way we approach raising our children would be different. Our attitude towards our work and towards our school and towards our marriage would be different. God wants to grow your faith. He wants to teach us big faith. Now, 
In the Old Testament, God chose the nation of Israel. And, and one of the reasons He chose the nation, He chose a nation is so that within His relationship with that nation, other nations would see who God is and that He could be trusted and that He's powerful and that He can do these things. And they could be a testimony to other nations about all of this. Now, one of the things that God gave the nation of Israel in the process of His relationship with them was the Ten Commandments. Now, he didn't just show up on the doorstep and say, Nation of Israel, I choose you. Oh, here's the Ten Commandments. He developed a relationship with the nation of Israel over time. They saw he was powerful and trustworthy, and it wasn't actually until after the nation of Israel was uh, brought out of Egypt, after their uh, bondage with Egypt for over 400 years, that God actually gave them the Ten Commandments and the law. And I think as we look at that, we can see that God is building His people's confidence and trust in Him. He's building the relationship. So the relationship comes first, and then God says, you know what, here's some commandments. Here's some things that will help you live your life. But, but the law didn't precede salvation. Salvation and the relationship preceded the law. So it's, it's really about trust and faith before it's about obedience. Um, the law is not so we can have a relationship, but because we already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God's desire is trust with mankind. So when we come to the New Testament, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that these are a lot of the same themes that Jesus teaches and shows. You know, Jesus didn't enter the scene and say, oh, guess what? Here's another 10 or 20 commands that I want you guys to follow. Jesus didn't come onto the scene and say, you know what? I need you to be really, 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 really good so that you can go to heaven. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, you know what? You need to do seven out of the 10 commands and you're in. But oh, if you only do six, you're out of here. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus wants people to put their trust in Him. That's why Jesus said, I want you to believe in Me. I want you to put your faith in Me. I want you to surrender your life to Me. I want you to trust Me. And God is, is reestablishing that relationship that was separated and broken apart in the Garden of Eden. Now, God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, exists in Himself, within Himself, in relationship. And we, the Bible says, have been created in His image. And, and in His image we have been created for relationship. He exists within relationship and we have been created for relationship with Him and with one another. And I cannot think of very many other Ideas that can tear a relationship apart more than mistrust. Think about your marriage relationship. What happens if there's mistrust in your marriage relationship? Things get a little bit shaky, don't they? You know, if there's good, solid trust in your marriage relationship, you know that you can trust your partner, your spouse, to tell you the truth and, and, and you can feel like you can tell them the truth and recognize that you can trust them to not walk out the door and leave you when you tell them the truth because sometimes the truth can actually hurt 
even in our marriage relationships. But we have established trust there. I trust that when I can't get my wife on the phone, that, you know, she's not somewhere where she shouldn't be. I just can't get a hold of her. I trust her completely. Plus, I can check up on her. No, I'm just... I trust her completely. There is no question. You know, if, if I come home and I don't know where she is and she didn't leave me a note or whatever, I don't just come up with all sorts of mistrust things. I just... She's just not there. She'll show up when she wants to, right? <laughs> our relationship with our children is the same way. We want to establish a trust relationship with them. We want, we want them to know that we are trustworthy. We want to make decisions and promises and follow through on those so that they can trust us over time. So that when, when uh, like, let's say my daughter Brittany is expecting me to pick her up at school at 5 o'clock in the afternoon after she's done with something. Which really, this, that isn't really a very good illustration because we only live a block and a half from the school. But um, let, let's say that, that I was to pick her up at five and I'm not there. Or you were to pick your son or daughter up at, at school and, and they, you were supposed to be there at five and you're not there. A trusting child would say, you know what, I know that I can count on mom or dad to come. Something must have happened. You know, something got in the way or they got a flat tire or whatever. I'm just going to wait. I can trust that they'll show up to pick me up. I can trust that I'm not going to have to sleep in this school all night tonight. They're going to come get me. So there, there's this trust. Same is true in our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is faith-based. It's, it's built on trust. We believe He is who He says He is. And then He'll do what He says He does. He will do. We see who He is in the Bible and we believe it. And then as we live our lives, we see it worked out. The foundation isn't obedience. It's, do I believe this is true? Do I believe He is who He... Do, can I trust God? And, and the answer to that is yes. And we can. And, and that's the encouraging thing about this whole message for me is if God wants to make your faith in Him huge and He can do it, you can have that kind of faith. We can live with that kind of faith. Now constantly we see how people in the New Testament are amazed by what, by what Jesus is doing, at what He's doing. You know, He heals people. He, he feeds people in miraculous ways. He, he changed water into wine. He... He had control over nature. He, could, he calmed the sea. He could walk on water. He raised the dead. He brought Lazarus back to life. Uh, people were constantly amazed and astonished at what Jesus did. Um, the question I have for us this morning is, do you recall a place where Jesus said He was amazed at somebody else? And in a positive way. Because there are multiple times when Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. Okay? But there is one time, and, and it's only one time in the entire Bible where it's recorded that Jesus says to a man, I am amazed at your faith. And we're going to look at that right now. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to begin reading the first, the first four verses. When, 
When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now think about that statement that the leper says to Jesus. There is complete and total trust there that Jesus is capable of healing him. He knows that the Lord can heal him. He's seen it happen before to friends of his, and he knows that he can be made clean from this leprosy. And he, so he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And, and I would have loved to have been there. I, I'm sure a tear would have gone down my face. Jesus reaches out his hand, he touches the man, and he says, I am willing. What a beautiful beautiful picture. Jesus says, I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. That's kind of curious, isn't it? Jesus is like doing miracles and he's like, don't tell anyone. I'm doing this. Okay? Uh, we, We actually discussed this at Bible study last Wednesday night and our conclusion is that that Jesus had a, a he had a mission, and, and uh, uh, he didn't need things to happen too early. You know, he, it was difficult. We, we see in another passage where he tells somebody to be quiet, and they're not. And, and he, Jesus is like, just like flooded with people, and he has to actually leave the town, and he can't continue to minister in the town because people find out you know, who he is. And he's just like, I'm, it's not time yet. It's not time for everybody to know this. So he says, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Verse 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. So we have in the presence of Jesus a Roman soldier, a captain in the soldier. I'm not sure what he was, um, centurion. He had, uh, his rank was, he had a hundred men beneath him. He had a hundred men who were serving him. He would say what they should do and they would go do it. He, would, he had the authority over them. And, and we also need to remember that the Romans are hated by the Jews. They're occupying their land. They're ruling over them and not in a very nice way. The Jews hate the Romans. And here you have a Roman centurion coming up to Jesus asking him for help. Okay, verse 6, Lord, he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. I wonder, and this is me wondering, I wonder how those around Jesus at the time when this was happening, what, what they were thinking when this centurion came up and spoke to Jesus. I mean, I'm sure the hair went up on the back of their necks and they're thinking, this is just, this is just sick. Why... Why would this Roman even think that he could ask Jesus for something? And, and then when they find out that his servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering, I wonder if, if they didn't think, well, good. You deserve that. That's how much the distaste was between Romans and Jews. They were a ruthless enemy. So here you have this Roman centurion. He says, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus says to him, I will go and heal him. I will go and heal him. And again, the guys standing around him are probably thinking, whoa, wait a minute. We got, we got people we like to, to heal and, and do this kind of thing. Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus says, no, I will go and heal him. And the centurion replies with this, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. 
but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus, you don't need to touch him. You don't need to speak over him. All you need to do is just say, be healed. And I believe that he will be. And and then the centurion goes on to kind of give his explanation and description of, of who he thinks Jesus is. He says, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. He's saying, I understand, Jesus, that that you have amazing authority and you are under some other authority that, that is way more powerful than anything we have ever experienced before. And if you say this will happen, it will happen. That's how powerful you are, Jesus. And then in verse 10, after Jesus hears the centurion say, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. He was amazed. He, was, he, he marveled. And he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. He's talking about a Roman. And and what I would say to us here this morning is if a Roman can have that kind of faith that amazes Jesus, we can have that kind of faith too. This, again, is the only time recorded in the New Testament that Jesus is positively amazed. And it's not about his obedience, it's not about obedience. It's about faith. It's about trust. So if God is so into big, big faith, what in our lives will grow that kind of faith? Because we can have that kind of faith. We can have that kind of trust. Now, early early on in his ministry, Andy Stanley mentions that he did some research, and this was years, actually a couple decades ago, I believe, 10, 15, 20 years ago. He began just listening to people's stories, people's salvation stories, as they would tell their story. This is, this is when I first surrendered my life to Jesus, and this is what happened, and this is the process that brought me to, to where I'm standing before you today. This is what God has taught me, and this is how he's taught me. And, and he's found that there's some things, some elements to those stories that people have told that have kind of risen to the top that are a part of every story that, that every person tells. And, and he tested this on his church staff and his church leadership, and they found it to hold true as well. And as I think about my own personal life in regards to the five things that we're going to be looking at in the next five weeks here on Sunday mornings, they're in my life too. And they're in, they're in all of our lives. These five things that grow a deeper trust and faith relationship with God. Now, I want to remind us of three things as we begin to, to, to talk about these five things. First of all, this is not a list that we do. Okay, these five things that I'm going to give you, these, this is not a list of things that we do. You know, I don't want you thinking, well, okay, Pastor Dave's going to give me these five things that I need to do to, ha- to have big faith. So, you know, get your pencil out and put little boxes there next to it so when you go home and you go through your week, you can check those off as they happen. This is not a to-do list. Um... 
Second, this list is not from the Bible. These are observations from the lives of people. And I think you will see that even in your own life as a Christ follower, these things are evident. And finally, number three, um, this isn't an exhaustive list. I mean, this list could be wrong. You, you could get to the end of this series and say, well, you know what, I disagree. I think there's actually six, not just five. Or you may think, you know, Pastor Dave, you guys, there's really only three. You repeated yourself twice in the middle of this series. Or, or you might be somebody who says, I actually think there are seven. Because, you know, seven is a perfect number, and so it has to be seven. So what I'm saying is five isn't really that. It's not important that there's five. It's just that these are five observations that we're making. This isn't thus saith the Lord, but the list comes from observations. Now here's why we're going to talk about these. As, as we look back on our spiritual journeys and we see what God is doing in our life, you know, my hope is that as I go through life, that I grow. I become more mature that I gain more understanding, that I gain more experience. I don't want to just flatline through life and end at, you know, 70 or however long I'm going to, uh, I'm going to live um, in the same place that I was when I was 25. You know, I, I, want that line, I want that over the long haul, I want that line to go up. Now, I understand that my line does this, okay? I think all of ours probably do. But I think when we recognize some of these things that God uses to grow faith in our life, and when we experience one of them, we can consciously think, you know what, hey, God might be trying to teach me something here. And instead of just kind of randomly going through an experience, we begin to go through it intentionally, and, beginning, and we begin to look for God in the midst of this experience, knowing that it could be something that He wants to use in my life to teach me. So instead of just, you know, say... Um, uh, let me use a, an exercise illustration. Um, you, let's say you have, uh, you have, I don't know, 100 laps to run. And, and your doctor says you need to run 100 laps a day, let's say. Okay? Now, um, let's say he doesn't tell you why. He just says you need to run 100 laps. Okay? Um, I would be terrible at that because I hate running laps. I hate running for no reason. Right? And, and so in your mind, if that's all you're doing, you're going to run the 100 laps a day, if you do what your doctor says, and you're just going to endure the pain through that. Now, if your doctor gives you a reason that you're running those 100 laps a day, you can, while you're running those 100 laps, be thinking in your head, this is good for me, this is good for me, this is good for me, right? I mean, it changes your attitude as you're going through that process. And I think that can happen with these five things as we're going to be looking at them as well. So on the back of your note sheet there, I know I might have confused you a little bit with the first blank side and then I gave you two, three things and there weren't you know, numbers for those to go at, but I hope, I hope you did well. Okay, on the back of your note sheet, there are five points. And, and I just want to tell you quickly this morning what those five things are that we're going to be looking at over the course of the next five weeks. Things that God uses to grow our faith. The first thing is this, practical teaching. Practical teaching. You know, we get practical teaching on a Sunday morning from God's Word. That's where we get practical teaching. Um, it can happen in our Bible study, at youth group, 
in a conversation with a friend over coffee and you get your Bibles out and you're like, hey, God's been teaching me this or God showed me this. Um, we learn new things about God and the things that we learn inform and enlighten our souls and our spirits and we see new things about God and who He is and what He can do and what He has done. And we can apply those to our life going forward. Have you ever been in a Bible study or sitting in church or in youth group and you've had some, something, you've heard something read or somebody said something, maybe you were listening to it on the radio and it was a reminder of God's faithfulness and you're like, wow, I've never seen that before. That really encourages me. Anybody ever have that happen? You, you heard something in, go ahead, you can raise your hands. You know, um, is it hot out there? Because it's really hot up here. I mean, I am burning up. So I will only raise my arm this much. Whether it's a strong challenge to change something in your life or a reminder of God's faithfulness at a time when just at the right time when you needed it. God works in amazing ways in that way. And he increases our faith through practical teaching. He also uses, number two, providential relationships. You know, in, in the course of our journey through life, we have many relationships, but, but there, are often, there are often relationships that are more significant in changing our lives than other ones. When people tell their story, they will often say, well, and then I met this girl, or and then I met this guy, or I was broken down on the side of the road and I didn't know how I was going get to get out of it, and, and just out of the blue, somebody stopped and helped me, and they were so encouraging, and they were so helpful, and, and they said this and this and this to me. It was like they were an angel, and they just came to me at the right place at the right time. Providential relationships. Anyone have a providential relationship or two in your life? Raise your hand. Yeah. Yes, can you start seeing it? So God uses practical teaching and He uses providential relationships. The third thing that He uses are private disciplines. Now we talked about, about spiritual disciplines for an entire series a few, a few months back. Soul conditioning. Um, disciplines, spiritual private disciplines are like reading the Bible or giving or prayer or fasting. Um, meditation. Uh, maybe through that series that we did a few months ago, you begin to incorporate some of these things into your life and, and you've seen your faith grow. You've seen God doing some things in your life that, that, that weren't there before. And you can see that God uses those private disciplines in your own life. And as we trust God more and we experience His work in our lives more, our faith grows. One of the private disciplines that I struggled with years ago was giving, was tithing. You know, I believe the Bible says that, that we are to give 10%. And, and so there have been various times in my life through, throughout history where I have given 10% of my income to the church. And, uh, and then there was a time early on in, in our life where things were just really tight in our budget. And, and I was, I just, I just couldn't do it. I, I held that 10%. And, and I said, well, I, I need this to get to the end of the month. And then from this stage, Pastor Brad, our former, our former senior pastor, uh, gave a message on tithing. And I sat probably in that seat. I've sat there a long time, haven't I? Um, and, and the Lord convicted my heart. He said, David, you need to trust me. He said, you need to trust me. You need to give faithfully. 
and trust that I can take care of you. And so I did. I began that week tithing again 10% of, of our income. And, and I saw left and right things God was doing. It's like I, we had more money, not more money than we knew what to do with, but you know, it, it wasn't as tight as it was before. And I thought, yay God, you know? And then all of a sudden, a, a financial bomb blows up in the middle of our budget, right? And what did I do? <laughs> I grabbed it back again. I grabbed it back again. I failed. And then after a period of time, I realized again, was convicted by something. God said, David, no, you need, you need to trust me. So I did. I don't know how many years ago it was, but I did. And, and that's, that's been a private... Di- well, it's not private anymore. <laughs> that's been a spiritual discipline of our sense. It's, it's giving faithfully. And just trusting God. In, what, in whatever circumstance in life. And we've had medical stuff, and we've had other things, and there have been, it's been tight, and we've had to budget and not do things, but, but, but I believe God has grown my faith in Him and my trust in Him in the process of that, just that one spiritual discipline. Practical teaching, providential relationships, private disciplines. God also uses, number four, personal ministry personal ministry to grow our faith. Um, I've been on dozens of short-term mission trips. And over and over and over, I have seen God work faithfully in the lives of the people who we were, who we were doing ministry for. I have seen God faithfully do work in the lives of, of students and people that I have been doing ministry with and then in my own life. And it's always something new. Um, it, it, one, of the, one of the ministry faith-building experiences that God has liked to do over the course of my ministry as a youth pastor was always to break the bus down on a trip. It didn't matter how good our buses were and how well-maintained they were. Always. I mean, I could almost to a ministry trip show you sometime we had to fix a bus. And, and what happened usually in, and some of you guys in here, even some of you not so young guys in here, were on those trips. And, and, and it, was always, it always seemed like we were at the right place at the right time, and we ran into the right person, and God provided this, and He provided this. And, and yes, we had to be patient, and we had to kind of go with the flow, and, and we had to just kind of take it as it came, and that sort of thing. We learned that as well. But, but in being a part of those ministry experiences, I could see that it doesn't matter what happens to a bus. I can just trust God that it's going to be okay. We had, we had a, a hot chocolate um, miracle that happened. Is there anybody in this room that was on that trip? It was in Seattle, Washington. I'm just curious. Okay, nobody was on that trip. I will tell you about the hot chocolate miracle in a couple weeks. <clears throat> You're welcome. God revealed to us um, darkness that a lot of people don't see in Las Vegas when we were there on a mission trip. I mean, God just uh, just showed us so many things. And, 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 and I know there are older men and women in here who have just, even in the last year or two, gone on a short-term uh, mission trip to, to Pine Ridge, and, and God has, has changed your life. He's increased your faith. So God uses practical teaching, providential relationships, private disciplines, personal ministry, and finally, God grows our faith through pivotal circumstances. 
pivotal circumstances, death, divorce, marriage, birth, sickness, financial windfalls, financial troubles, car crashes, sudden circumstances, long drawn out circumstances. There are good ones, there are bad ones, there is tragedy, there is triumph. But faith comes as we recognize more and more and more in the midst of those circumstances who God is and what He does. I mean, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had a hard circumstance and at the end of it you, you found that you, your faith had increased, your faith had grown? I, uh, we have a family in the church that's really going through a, a, a difficult time and... and uh, not sure where the income is going to come from and that, that sort of thing. And, and something happened uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, their vehicle broke down and they had to take it in and get it fixed and it cost $900 or eight, eight or $900 to get it fixed. And of course, the question becomes, Lord, really? <laughs> I mean, we've all been there, right? Really? One more thing. Can anything else go wrong? I don't know if they were thinking that, but honestly, I, I was thinking that to myself. And um, uh, they got a, a paycheck and was hoping that would go towards living expenses and ended up having to put the paycheck towards the fixing of the vehicle. And then I got this text message and it said, Pastor Dave, just wanted to, to let you know that um, uh I got five cards in the mail this week and there was a total of $800 in those cards. And then at the end of that text message, it said, I don't know why I was worried about it. How oftentimes have we gone through things and we get out the other side and we look back on those things and we say, holy cow, why did I spend all of that energy and all of that, that time worrying and being concerned and, and being afraid of that Knowing what I know now on the outside of that, if I had just trusted God in the middle of that, I wouldn't have near as much. I wouldn't have taken two years off my life, right? But now I would bet that this person who has experienced that, something else might happen going forward. There might be another bill or something else come. And what are they going to think? You know what? I can trust God for this. I can trust Him. God teaches us that way. He wants us to learn it. And we can learn it. We can learn it. God uses pivotal circumstances. Again, this is not a list of do's. These five things as you're looking at them, these aren't things that you, you just go out and you do them. Right? You can't just do these things. But, they, but opportunities do arrive in our lives in regards to these things. Maybe a short-term missions trip comes up and you kind of feel God saying, hey, you know what, I want you to go on this short-term mission trip. And you say, I can't. No, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm not ready. And then, and then finally you say, okay, I will. And then you go on that trip and God teaches you some amazing things and you come back and you look back on that and you say, wow, look what God did to my faith in the midst of this thing. And so as we are aware of them, we can kind of, not always, but we can kind of see them coming or see them rising up in our life and we can think to ourselves, you know what, this is an opportunity. Instead of just enduring whatever it is, pain or, or, or trouble, 
we can look at that and we can say, you know what, yes, this is going to be hard. I'm, I'm not being unrealistic about it. it, it it's going to be a painful thing, but you know what? I'm not going to fear it because I know that I can trust God in this. And instead of worry and fear being our first response, instead our first response is, God, I know I can trust you. I know I can trust you with this. And then we do trust him. Sometimes these hard things happen in our life. Like a death in the family. A sudden death in the family. You know, not that other deaths are easier. Uh, I, Leela Dennis lost her dad this week. Sorry I didn't mention that at the beginning of the service. On Tuesday. And um, Martin was an amazing man. He lived 98 years Almost to the day. What day did he turn 98? He turned, he turned 98 on Friday. I wonder if God has like a quota for ages he needs to fill. You know, and he waited till Martin got to 98 because he needed Martin. I don't know. But Martin was an amazing man. Lived a wonderful life. A faithful life. Um, just in the one day a few months ago that I spent with Martin and hearing him tell stories I love hearing his stories and, and seeing his like three or four different translations of the Bible sitting by his, on his table and knowing that that was a part of his day, reading through those and just trusting God, even at the end of his life, just trusting him. And, and even when we lose somebody or some other difficult things happen, we can trust God we can trust God to work through the pain and, and to help us stand up. We may not see it in the middle, uh, um, but it's just a dependence and just a trusting in Him. And the more we know God intimately, the more we trust Him. The more we are able to not just say we believe, but we truly do believe, the more our faith grows. And God's going to use these five things in our lives to grow our faith. So how about you? How about you? What kind of faith do you want in your life? I want big faith. I want to have that kind of faith. And I'm going to trust God to help me get that big faith. And I hope that it's okay with you that I pray that God will give you big faith too. Because I want us all to have big faith. I'm looking forward to what God's going to teach us in this series I want to close with this verse right here. Luke chapter 17, verse 5. It's your memory verse. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And let's, as Christians, let's ask God the same thing. Increase our faith. Let's cry out to Him for that. And at the end of the day, at the end of the series, are we going to be a little bit smarter? I think we will be. Are we going to be a little bit more obedient? I think that we will be. But above all, I pray that we will be more dependent and trusting on God. That we will have big faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and God, just for the fact that we can, we can trust you. Help us to trust you. Lord, I pray that, uh, that uh, you would teach us through this series and um, Lord, Lord, that you would um, maybe draw others into the series as we begin um, next week. Lord, I want to pray for our small groups and, and that they would grow closer to one another and to you as well, Father, as they study through this. And, 
And, uh, oh God, give us big faith. Give us big faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close our service this morning, the ushers are going to.